Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Dana Dude is a stand-up comedian who's performed on The Tonight Show and developed TV shows with Fox, CBS, NBC, and Freeform. But Adude is enjoying his greatest success now, with recurring roles on not one but two Netflix hit series, as a car salesman for Karate Kid Danny LaRusso in Cobra Kai, and as an engineer working for the crew with Kevin James. That's not quite what his parents had in mind when he was studying pre-med at Johns Hopkins, but it's worked out quite okay. The dude joined me to talk about working in the pandemic, his past experiences on series such as Bajillion Dollar Properties and Kicking It, how far he's come since Falafel Phil, and his own podcast, Green Eggs and Dan. So let's get to it. Thank Sean you. Sean is a man who needs no introduction. <laughs> Dan, I, I feel a little bit of pressure since you told me to bring the spunk. I did. <laughs> Oh my god. How long have we known known each other? I was trying to figure that out. I was trying to figure it out too. I know that I I know that I saw you film live at Gotham. So that's at least 2007. Wait. Yes, that's when I was I was like the MC for that. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. That was the first time that I knew uh what it was like to be an Iranian Jew. I mean, hey man. You taught me. You taught me was that was I'm the ambassador that uh, my people never thought they needed. <laughs> <laughs> so last things first, congratulations on uh, what's already shaping up to be a stellar Netflix year for you. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's COVID is the best thing that could have happened to me. <laughs> uh, no, it's been, a, it's been a super duper lucky year and... Like you know, it's one of those things where you work you work your ass off for twenty years and then and then stars align. So it's I, I've been very very lucky for this year. Do you still have family in Long Island? I do. My parents actually live uh, on Long Island still, and it's funny because when we were filming this show, uh, we did you know it it films in Long Island, so it was like twenty minutes away from my parents' house and. We ended up finishing uh, episode seven when COVID hit. And so they were like, everyone get, go back home. So I had a ticket to fly back to LA. And my parents just were not taking COVID seriously. Like they just weren't, I don't know, something about parents just like not caring about it. And I was freaking out about it. And I was like packing up my stuff in my apartment. And I called my mom and I told them not to leave the house. And I hear like some stuff in the background. I'm like, mom, where are you? She's like, I'm at the supermarket. I'm like, mom, I told you not to leave the house. She's like, I needed to get dill. She went to the supermarket just to get dill. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my God, if I go back to LA, my parents are going to die. So I stayed in New York for two months, quarantined with my parents in Long Island. Uh, and uh, it was one of the more bizarre, you know, couple months of my life. Uh, to just live with them, basically. Now, I know that they, uh, you know, they, they probably weren't too keen on you ditching medical school and a career in medicine for stand-up. So 
quarantine with the, with them now, were they a little bit more on board with your decision? Yeah, man. You show them a billboard and that, that whole med school stuff goes uh, straight out the door. Uh, no, they're, they're very supportive now. Um, they were not in the beginning and I can't quite blame them, you know, like they, you know, escaped from Iran, came to America with nothing and rebuilt themselves and sent me to college so I could become the first doctor in the family. I got into Johns Hopkins. I got into medical school. And then I was like, I think I'd rather just tell dick jokes at open mics in New York for free. Uh, yes, they were super duper disappointed. Um, and, you know, I just used it as fuel, fuel to keep going and to, and to become, you know, successful. But then when they see you performing with the Karate Kid, they must be like, oh, okay, he's made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the Karate Kid guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's funny, they, they weren't big Karate Kid people, so I don't know that they got as much of a kick out of Cobra Kai as they did out of the crew, because they would actually come to the live tapings, because they were okay. like, oh. So uh, it was very, very fun and bizarre to see them in the, uh, <laughs> in the crowd as I'm, I mean, I, I hate having family come to see my, my performances in general. I think yeah. most comics do. Um, so having them up there was uh, definitely nerve wracking, but also, you know, it was, it was definitely a little bit of, look, look guys, look, I did it. We're good now. <laughs> what's, what's more bizarre? Do taping a filming a sitcom with your parents in the audience or, or doing stand up with your parents in the audience or the fact that you're on stage with people that you grew up watching on screen like Kevin James or Ralph Macchio? Yeah, man, the Macchio, the Karate Kid Cobra Kai stuff is super trippy. I mean, the first scene that I did in that show was in episode one and it's like probably one of the most iconic scenes of the series where Johnny and Daniel LaRusso are meeting for the first time in the dealership. Okay. So they're uh, on either side of each other and flanking them are me and um, Brett Ernst. And (laughs) Brett and I were, and it's like, they're literally meeting for the first time. And Brett and I had this moment where we're like, dude, I cannot fucking imagine what's going on right now. This isn't, this is like, like six-year-old me is just like losing his shit. So we have to try to like act and also like hold in the fact that this is like the most iconic thing. And it was the first day that I met these guys. Oh, wow. Like it was so, I I really had to hold it in, man. It was really, that was probably the toughest scene I've ever had to film in anything I've ever done. Cause it was just, and you could tell it was such a high pressure scene. Like everyone from Netflix was there. All of the writers, producers came out of the writer's room to watch this moment. And it's like my first scene. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was the worst and best thing that's ever happened. Um, <laughs> and yeah, man, with regards to Kevin, I have always been an enormous fan of his before King of Queens. Do you remember his stand-up special? Uh, I think it was called Sweat the Small Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was one of the best like stand-up specials of back in the day. Well, that was like 20 years ago, right? And I remember I had a day job at Comedy Central when that came out and I, and I had the guy in the video room make me a copy of it so I could have it at home. And I just thought he was so funny and his physical comedy is so crazy. And you notice it now, like when we film, he has like a spark, like he has this weird thing where he knows 
exactly which way to move his face or his eyebrows or his nose or his teeth or what in a way that will just get such a laugh. I mean, he's, he's really, he's really mastered that form. And did, did they just see you in Cobra Kai and know that you were comfortable standing next to cars and be like, okay, <laughs> let's get him standing next to a car for the crew. It's so funny, man. It's like, those were two car driven shows. And then before, before uh, Cobra Kai or like, way before i was on a disney show that was like a karate themed show oh right right kicking it all my worlds are colliding uh, in a very very funny way (laughs) um there's actually a billboard right now on sunset i they put it up last night and it's a netflix billboard one side of it is the crew and the other side of it is cobra kai and it's over a falafel shop (laughs) (laughs) they did it for you dan they did it for you it's insane. How close is that to the Laugh Factory? Two blocks away from the Laugh Factory. It's so really, that's, that's your entire really, universe. It's wild. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's really trippy because that was the Zanku Chicken. That, that place was, I would always, I'd go there many times a week. Oh. With LA, because like, I, you know, you did, I didn't have a lot of money and the Laugh mm-hmm. Factory was right there. So to see two billboards on top of that restaurant is really, really uh, trippy. So wait, I didn't know this, but you, you had just mentioned it a few minutes ago that you had a day job at Comedy Central. What was, what was your day job with them? So my day job was ad sales research, which is basically just awful number crunching. Um, and it was, a, it was a really, really awful job, but I had this dumb mentality, <laughs> you know, when you're young and idealistic, I was like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to work at Comedy Central corporate. Someone's going to recognize, someone's going to like discover me within six months. I'll have my own TV show in a year. You know, like literally I that, thought that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, instead, I was there for about four years. And in the fourth year, I literally, uh, this sounds dramatic, but I would have to take breaks and just go into the stall of the bathroom and just like cry my eyes out because I was so miserable there. And oh, no. I did not really see like a way out. Um, and I was like, what the, what have I done? <laughs> were, were you, were you doing stand up at the time? I was, I would basically, I was living at my parents in Long Island. I would, you know, wake up at 7am, get on the train, come to work at nine, work till five, bum around at a coffee shop till like seven, eight, and then do open mics, um, till like 11 o'clock and then take the train back to Long Island and go to bed and do it all over again. So it was, you know, for that to, it was an intense, it was an intense couple of years to, to kind of balance those two things out. And so did, how many people at Comedy Central knew you were living this life? Or is that like a common thing where, where aspiring comedians get jobs, get office jobs at Comedy Central because they have that same mentality that, well, once I'm in the building, they're going to notice. I think I was the only one dumb enough to think that that's how it worked. <laughs> I, I don't think many people do that. I was the only stand-up comic working in the corporate office. Uh, okay. But yeah, you know, people would come to my shows and stuff. But it was like, I, I, I don't know why. I felt like for some reason, if the head of ad sales thought that I was funny, I would get a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like, I, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a very... Although, the good thing about it is now I have a bunch of friends in ad sales... So whenever I have a show now, I could ask them to look up the ratings and tell me the breakdown and how it did and all that stuff. <laughs> you will understand the numbers. 
Totally. I, I get the numbers, man. Huh. By the way, is my audio okay? I don't know if the AirPod is coming through. It, it's, it's better now. At the beginning, it was a little off. Okay, good. Um, now, when you, when you went to L.A., you know, you got, you know, you got the Tonight Show spot, and then you had a few series there that, that came and went. What did you learn from that experience, those early experiences in Hollywood that, that helped, like, build your, your, your strength and your, your character for what was to come? Yeah, so there were two, two big ones, I'd say. Um, and one was, you know, I had done the Montreal Comedy Festival. You might have been there when I did it. I'm not sure. But it was when I had New Faces, which... You know, for everyone listening, uh, New Faces is like your first big break as a comic if you get, get on this show. And I did very well, and I booked The Tonight Show on the spot. And then my manager was like, you got to move to L.A. Like, it's time. I'm like, great, let's do it. I moved to L.A., and then you end up meeting with all the network heads. Like, that's a big thing that comes out of Montreal. And I'm like going into these big, you know, the studios and sitting in the, in the office of the, of the chairman and you know, there's like four people surrounding you telling you how great you are. Like, you think you're going to be like the next Seinfeld, like the way that they build you up, you know? And I get a call from my manager and he's like, I finally got an audition for you. I'm like, awesome. What is, you know, he's like, it's for a Disney show. I was like, I don't want to do a Disney show. He's like, no, no, I just want you to meet the casting director, Julie Ashton. She's a great casting director. You should know her. I'm like, okay, fine. He's like, I'm going to send you the role. You're not going to like it, but just, just look at it. And he says it to me, and it's the role, the name of the character is Falafel Phil. And you got and Sean, you know this about me. I never, like, have done, like, tons of, like, Middle Eastern stuff in my sets. Like, I've never been, like, a very Middle Eastern-themed comic. I've never done those, like, Middle Eastern uh, comedy tours, like the Camels of Comedy. Like, I've never done that stuff. And now to be, you know, to have this hacky Falafel Phil audition. <laughs> and the audition was this. It was, like... I work in the falafel restaurant and the kids who work in the mall come into my falafel restaurant and they talk about how they want to start a boy band. And I run up to them and I go, oh, you want to start a boy band? I had a boy band in my hometown of Hachmachistan. Who could forget our hit song, Baby's Got the Nooch? And then you have to sing the song, Baby's Got the Nooch. Which I, you know, they're just like, give it your all. And I'm just like, yalla, baby, baby, got the nooch. Like this dumb song. Anyway, I go, I meet Julie Ashton. We do you can the see audition. why it's a hit. <laughs> I do the audition. I get into my car and my manager calls me and he's like, good news, you got the role. And I'm like, no, I don't want this role. He's like, oh, no, you have to. It's just one episode. You have to do it because it'll be really, really bad to Julie Ashton, to the casting director, if you don't do it. So I'm like, okay, fine. I go do the role. I leave. He's like, good news. They love you. They want to make you a regular cast member. I was like, dude, I don't want to, I, I just met with like the heads of NBC and Fox and CBS. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, oh no, now it wouldn't be cool to the producers if you didn't do it. <laughs> Long story short, Falafel Phil becomes like the breakout star of this show. It goes on for like four years and I can't walk down the street without like a 13 year old kid, like losing his mind when he sees me. Um, so I'm tr someone who tries to like look at the positive and everything, right? Because it was very easy for me to find a lot of negative in that. But the positive was I learned how to act on a TV show. I'd never done that before. And not only that, working on a Disney show 
is like multicam bootcamp. You're just constantly cranking out multicam. You get, you get the angles, you get how it works. You get, you know, it's helped me immensely on the crew because I'm used to that format. I'm used to live audience and stuff like that. And the third thing is, dude, we look, it wasn't an ideal role, but like I did something that a lot of comics can't do. Like I, you know, we would go to cancer hospitals and like little kids would lose their shit when they would see you, you know? So it's like, yes, there was some stuff that I wasn't into, but like there was a lot of really wonderful things that came from that. So from that, I learned acting. And then the second big kind of seminal moment in my career was um, I did a show called Friend Me. I don't know if you remember that one. Well, that was one of those ones that was like here and then it left. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was here and left. It was on CBS and um, I auditioned for it. I got the role. The show got picked up. Um, we were filming episode seven and the showrunner committed suicide. And it kind of put the brakes on the whole thing. You know, we ended up filming the next three episodes, but it was clear that this thing wasn't going to air and CBS ended up not airing it. Cause you know, they, they're a very squeaky clean network. I don't think they wanted the press of it and, and whatnot, but um, that taught me something really important too, which was, I did everything right for that show. You know, I auditioned for it. The show got picked up. I came every day and I did my best work. And, you know, something that was completely out of my control happened and wiped out the whole project. And that's when I realized that I need to start writing and I need to start, you know, having, doing my own stuff and being in control of my own stuff. And so I started to develop for TV and I, you know, I, the majority of my career became selling TV shows and it still is a pretty big part of my career is, is writing and selling TV shows um, to the point where when I got the audition for the crew, uh, I wasn't going on a lot of, a lot of auditions anymore because I was like, yeah, I had to develop, I had to deal with Hulu. I was writing a show for them. Um, and I saw this role for Amir and I was like looking at it and I was like, you know what? I would only really want to do this if I could play this super weird character. Like, and I had the freedom of like having other things going on in my career that I could take that chance. You know what I mean? Cause it was when you get to the point where you're like, well, if I'm not right for it, let them go have, go give it to someone else. Like that's kind of a powerful place to come from because then you can take chances, you know? So I, you know, I, I, I think having, knowing that I had a solid plan B gave me the freedom to be weird in this thing. And they ended up loving it, which worked out, you know, really well. So, right. I mean, you, your character on the crew is, a, is an engineer, but he's like a Hamilton fan and he's like into all this like artsy stuff. And he's. Yeah. And he's super socially awkward and like gets nervous around people. And yeah, I love playing weird characters. Like, right. He doesn't fit into any sort of stereotype. He's like all over the place. Yeah, exactly. He's hard to pin down. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's his, yeah, what's Amir's deal? Whereas Falafel Phil, you know what you're getting with Falafel Phil. Oh, yeah. You know what you're getting. There's not, not a lot of layers of that onion that you got to peel back for Falafel Phil. Although I suppose with Falafel Phil, that gives you a chance to like bond with Ralph Macchio and go, yeah, I know what it's like when kids go crazy seeing me on the street. <laughs> Oh, man, it's true. I mean, it's funny because a lot of the Falafel Phil fans are now Cobra Kai fans, and they're like, 
what the hell is Falafel Phil doing a Cobra Kai? It's very funny. Um, the one thing we didn't talk about was uh, bajillion dollar properties. Yeah. And, um, you know, CISO, for people who are listening, was Quibi before Quibi. It was the great, the great hope of comedy that, that gave a lot of opportunities to comedians, but, but never really went anywhere. Yeah. So what was that like for you to be part of like this CISO's hit show? And yet it's like, what, what it happened? Real, I, I got to say, it's such a bummer. I, you know, we're all still close to the cast from that show. And everyone from that show has gone and done crazy things, you know? Like, uh, Tim Balls is on Righteous Gemstones. Ryan Gall is on, uh, uh, what's that show with, I'm, I'm blanking, um, with Tiffany Haddish. And uh, anyway, everyone's <laughs> gone on and done amazing things. Let me take that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. The last OG. Yes, the last OG. I'm the last OG. Uh, I, I mean, you know, everyone's doing really, really good stuff. And it's, it was, it was so frustrating to look back on it because I always tell people it was the best show that nobody ever saw. Um, Bajillion Dollar Properties was a sort of a parody of Million Dollar Listing. And it was a completely improvised show. And it was exhilarating to be able to improvise every day at work. And the guest stars that we'd get were insane to come and, you know, be viewing the houses or be the weird homeowners. Like they got, you know, Zach Galifianakis was, I mean, it was crazy. It was, it was such a great show and such a bummer. I mean, I don't even know what the lesson was to learn from that because it was, it was just the, you know, CISO just didn't work. So we kind of got screwed, but that remains one of the funniest shows I've ever been a part of. And you can still watch it. I think on, on Amazon Prime, uh, but it's it's such a shame that because that was one that I was like, oh, this is going to be such a hit as long as CISO can get in the hands of people. And by the way, I had a very similar frustration with Cobra Kai. When oh, because it was on out, it was on YouTube first, right? It was on YouTube, which was at the time called YouTube Red, and then they changed it to YouTube Premium because too many people got confused with RedTube. <laughs> very different from YouTube Red. Um, and, you know, that show, now everyone sees it, but, like, that show was on the air for two years on YouTube, and no one would watch it. And I'd have to tell, fight people. I'd be like, guys, this show is special. You have to watch it. And they'd be like, eh, I don't know. I don't think I want to subscribe. So I was like, oh, my God, it's happening again. I'm on the best show that no one's ever watching. <laughs> so thankfully, Netflix came in, our knight in shining, shining armor, and, and gave it the platform that it needed. What was it like for you then when, when Cobra Kai finally premiered on Netflix? Did you like immediately see the effect of, of what that had on, on how people perceived you? Well, here's the funny thing is that this show gets on Netflix. It becomes the most, most watched show in Netflix's history. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. So every time I go out, I have to put a mask on. I can't get recognized from the biggest show in the world. <laughs> so it's funny though, because Brett Ernst, uh, you know, who's my compatriot of the show, he mm -hmm. lives in Vegas and Vegas is a lot more loosey-goosey than LA is. Right. And he's like, he tells me he gets stopped like 10 times a day. 
So, but he's um, but he's standing around car dealerships all the time. That's true. <laughs> he just stands under the Cobra Kai billboard on the on the strip. <laughs> um, yeah. So look, I I think it's been it's been really cool because every single person in the world has watched that show. <laughs> but I am looking forward to being able to go and do stand up. Um, Cause that's kind of what standups we just dream about, you know, cause we all work on our craft for years, decades, and we all have great, a lot of us have really great products that we're putting out there, but unless you get that platform of a TV show or a movie that puts you out there, you know, no one's going to see you. No one knew Tiffany Haddish before last year and right. Tiffany has been doing standup for 20 years. So, you know, once you get that platform, I'm just very excited for everyone to get their vaccines and let's get back to opening up so that I can get recognized. God damn it! <laughs> Has, you, you mentioned uh, developing and selling shows for TV. Has the pandemic changed your perspective or your, your thinking on, on how best to do that going forward? It's been weird. I've done a, I've done a bunch of pitches over Zoom, um, and... I don't like it. I, I, I prefer to be in the room with people. Cause again, as a standup, like we thrive off of being in the room with people. I'm trying not to give in to the, to the fad, I would say of writing COVID shows. Cause I feel like this is going to be over soon enough. And then it's going to be a thing of the past. Um, but uh, I am, I don't know if you know this, but I have a, uh, I have a, another side of me, another layer of me that is uh, my food side. I was going to ask you about your podcast, Green yeah. Eggs and Dan. Uh, so Green Eggs and Dan is my, is, is my food pod. I'm a huge, enormous foodie. And I always wanted to do a food podcast that was, you know, a funny food podcast because there's none of them out there really. And no one wanted to green light it or take a chance on it. So I ended up doing it with this really small shop, this guy, Jeff Umbro, who was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. And we ended up becoming the number one food podcast in the country for like a couple months. So um, it's basically an interview show where I interview celebrities and every celebrity sends me a picture of the inside of the fridge, which I put on blast on Instagram for everyone to see. Mm -hmm. And that's how the conversation starts. But just speaking of development during COVID, like that is being developed into a TV show now, which can't get into too much, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, that was a very kind of lucky thing that happened because, you know, quarantine is I'm just sitting at home and like, you know, recording podcasts like you I got my mic here. And so it's like, um, I, I, I don't know, man, I, I always try to make lemonade out of, out of lemons. I've been given a lot of lemons in my career. And if I didn't make lemonade <laughs> out of them, I'd probably get super depressed uh, and, you know, go down a hole. So I... I I try my best to have short-term memory with the bad stuff and long-term memory with the good stuff. That's, that's kind of been my, I guess, that'll be on my tombstone. <laughs> so how many of your uh, castmates on the crew have you hit up for the podcast? Oh, actually, uh, one of the guests who will be on in two weeks is Paris uh, Borellis, who is a, a, a star on the show. She plays the female um, uh, race car driver. Oh, okay. And, She's, uh, she's very, very, very funny, and she is very successful as an actress, but has the refrigerator of a crackhead who can't get a job and doesn't have enough money to afford crack, even. <laughs> well, then you don't want to see my refrigerator. 
Well, I'd like to take a look one day. (laughs) I'll have to prepare for that. Uh, Right now, it's it's more of a, uh, you know, we just had a snowstorm here. So it's very much a snowstorm blizzard refrigerator. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. During quarantine, everyone has great fridges. Everyone, like, is packed to the gills. Um, Like, Phil Rosenthal's fridge was just like, oh, it was, it was like a dream come true. I just wanted to go and, and snuggle in there. You got to put a Snuggie on and just like sleep in there. Well, Phil's another foodie. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind. He is. He is. We are kindred spirits like that. Well, Dan, I know we have not been quite kindred spirits, but we, we go back a ways and it's good to finally see you on Zoom and, and uh, see you have all this great success. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I was so excited to see that, uh, you were on the press list because I was like, oh, this is good. It's always fun to talk to someone who saw when you were, you know, handing out flyers outside of the Boston Comedy Club to get stage time. So, <laughs> And now look at you. I've always been a fan of yours, so thank you. Oh, yeah. thank you, Dan. Well, we know Netflix is listening, so look for, the, look for Green Eggs and Dan on Netflix sometime <laughs> no, in 2022. <laughs> you heard it here first. No, no. <laughs> this episode of the comics comic presents last things first was produced by alex brazell at showbiz studios the music by camille harris and shockwave logo by giggle chick please check out my website thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.